Recording? Yeah, recording! Yeah, recording. No, we haven't actually started yet, have we? This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 54. Where we answer the question, isn't Will supposed to be doing this? Um, no, because we haven't started recording yet. You totally have, but whatever. Alex, you sound, like, so depressed. I'm not. I'm just in the I don't give a fuck edition. Okay. (laughs) Can Can we pull ourselves together here? I don't know. Are we gonna have a suicide on the podcast if we go forward? Dude, you know I'll never kill myself. I'll take out people first. That's true. All right. Three, two, one. Recording? Yeah, recording. This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 54. Alex Swingle is not suicidal after all edition. Yeah, where we get to answer the question, whenever Will flubs up the number of the, of the episodes, how far off is he, like, you know, away from the original number? <laughs> hey, I got it this time, didn't I? The answer, about 10. About 10? <laughs> hey, that was, that was last week. This time, I'm right on. No, no, no you flubbed it like three times before. Really? And every single time you flubbed it, you've been off by like 10 episodes. <laughs> really? Is that the average? <laughs> yep. Was I always behind by 10 episodes? Yes, usually it was behind. It was usually like instead of saying 53, you said 43, you know, shit like that. So, this week we're going to talk about about Todd Zercher's game, The Trouble with Rose. And then we're going to talk a little bit about audience mechanics in RPGs. We are going to talk about a game today where... um, Well, we won't be saying next week that I should have given this game more credit. Because uh, I expect to give it... And now the thing is beeping. Alex, are you going to... Hey, hey. <laughs> so, here's the thing. Alex, um... Fuck it, man. Are we going to have to start recording from scratch because we've royally fucked this thing up now? <laughs> yeah, we have. Oh, well, I mean, fuck it. Alex isn't even talking. We're just talking on Skype. You can trim this part out. Yeah, I can trim it like a boss. Or I can just eliminate it completely if you think it's that terrible. I don't know. I I feel like we just made some noise. Uh, And Frank died. All right. Three, two. (laughs) (laughs) But let's just start the episode over because it's a mess right now. (laughs) Okay. Three, two, one. Recording? Yeah, recording. This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 54. This is the third fucking time we've tried to record this episode edition. Yeah. Where Alex Swingle doesn't ask questions. God damn it, you just did that so we'd have to record it again. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So, introducing this game. First of all, this was a Game Chef entry from last year, 2011, right? Yep. When it was a Shakespeare theme. Yeah. That's what I come to know. Right. This is a collaborative narrative game. This is a story game in the purest sense. Emphasis on story. Yep. I'm trying to just figure out... Uh, who wants to... Does someone want to talk a little bit about what the game is? Um, well, basically, from what I understand, there is a girl named Rose, and she's in some kind of trouble. And uh, your group basically narrates this trouble along with other characters who are close to her, mm. or in some way related to her. Right. Rose is kind of the centerpiece of the story. She's an NPC. Yeah. Kind of rotates around the group. Different people take turns playing as Rose, narrating what she does and what's going on in her life. Basically, Rose is a damsel in distress. Although Rose does not have to be female. Rose could be a guy. Could be, um, in some ways, maybe even an inanimate object. Right. But Rose is... An individual in distress, and all of the player characters have um, have an objective concerning Rose. They, they want Rose for something. Maybe they're in love with Rose. Maybe they want to use her to get at her daddy's money. Maybe they... Because usually, not always, but typically, Rose is going to come from a rich family or in influential family and she's been exiled she's been cast out by her father or her mother right so maybe someone wants to use rose for her money or to get power maybe someone's secretly a turncoat who's been sent to kill rose or otherwise fuck her up and the whole game moves forward from there from that point rose is in distress and the player characters try to help rose or hinder rose or use rose yeah. It's a GMless game. Yes, it is. Yes. Yep. So each player has one character, and those characters, as I said, have one objective each. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Okay. Yep. So, moving forward from that point... No, is there anything else that we really need to introduce about the game? Oh, it has a dominoes-based mechanic. Each player has... Excuse me. Each player character has six traits. Yep. That's right, isn't it? It's not yep. Traits. It is six traits. Okay. Six traits, and each trait is assigned a number. And then on each round of the player who is taking the sort of GM role for that round, for that scene, plays one of their dominoes and has to use the traits that are on that domino. So if the domino shows a 1 and a 5, and the 1 is like, you know, is proficient with a weapon, and the 5 is like, is short-tempered, they have to work both their proficiency with their weapon and their sharp-tempered nature into that scene. Right. And there's also an audience mechanic. There are people people who are not actively engaged in the scene, who are not well, who are not who don't have the GM role for that scene. 
although they can be brought into the scene with their player characters to you know pl- play a role in that scene they also serve as the audience and at the end of the scene they among other things they decide whether or not the player played out their two traits effectively and integrated them effectively into the scene and that and that leads to a scarring mechanic there's a scar that accumulates throughout the game and at the end of the game the player with the most points gets to determine how it all ends gets to set up the epilogue which explains exactly what becomes of rose and the other characters okay Great. so that is the meat of the game now moving forward let's talk about how we felt about this game um Rudy, do you want to start off talking about some facet of the game and what you thought of it um well i like the character creation quite a bit it involves basically uh, you pick your traits, mm-hmm. and two of them have to be negative. Right. And uh, what you do is you draw dominoes secretly, and um, if you're to put down a domino each scene, you have to integrate those things into your traits that you created at character creation. Right. Which is kind of cool because... Like, you can have, because dominoes are two-sided, you can have, you know, a negative trait and one of your regular traits go, you know, together in the scene, and it kind of, it kind of drives the drama a little bit. Right. And, uh, yeah, I like character creation also because it's really simple. Right. There's two steps, well, three steps to character creation, right? Yeah. You name your character... You draw a secret objective for your character. You draw a card, and based on the suit of the card, you know immediately what your character is after. Hearts is you're in love with Rose. Diamonds is you're trying to use Rose for money, fame, or power. Clubs is you're trying to protect Rose, right? Um, or is that not it? I don't remember. Yeah, he, yep, you defend Rose. You seek to defend Rose. Perhaps and then Fades is... You're trying to fuck Rose over. You're a turncoat. Yeah. Yep. And then the third step in character creation is you you assign your traits, like you mentioned. So, yeah, it's very simple. Very straightforward. I really like the hidden objective thing, which is something that uh, God King, which we played a few episodes ago, did as well. Mm -hmm. And in both instances, I think it adds a lot to the game. It lets you know where you're headed right from the start without being too constrictive. You know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't pull you along at, by the nose at all. It doesn't guarantee a specific outcome, but it gives you a very clear goal to focus on when you're playing your character. Right. Another thing that's cool about it is you can actually have multiple people draw the same objective. Yeah. Which is pretty neat. So you could have, like, three turncoats or three people in love with Rose and could get messy. Right. Yeah, I, I wanted to actually uh, talk about that because to me that's you know, it, it was kind of a mixed feeling because while the cards are cool and all, it's um, it really didn't inspire me too much mm-hmm. uh, to really do anything. Yeah, they're there. It's, it's clearly understood that well, that's what I should be focusing on. But, um, because it's random, you're you're gonna get those moments where it's like, ah, I don't, 
I don't give a shit about pertaining to romanticize this person. So there you go. Okay. So you, what you feel then is that maybe the cards... Are you, are you saying the cards aren't specific enough in their focus? Or that you still felt constricted by the fact that you had to integrate this objective somehow? Yeah, because because it's a random outcome, and it in in your performance in the game, since evidently there has to be a winner in this game, mm-hmm. uh, your performance in that makes it to where you are required to um, you're you're forced to do things, and like in this particular game, I really didn't give two shits about um, about trying to to, to woo uh, the lady, because mm-hmm. uh, that was my objective, and. It, it also affected how um, how I had to pretend to uh, to you know to to, to do the scenes because like I I did the big no no in the beginning and I just revealed that I I drew a heart and uh, for because of that Will <laughs> forced himself upon me to say hey you gotta go talk to this lady and pretend we are having an intimate relationship moment right now. <laughs> Well, I didn't exactly do that, but I tried uh, to urge you. You that. did like you you were inches away from doing that exact thing, right? Well, my and... character was trying to connive the situation too, though. He actually wanted to get close to Rose, and he was kind of using you. Well, he wanted to get close to Rose to get he at wanted money. Her money. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Money. No, I'm saying anyways because um, I, I'm I was pretty confident you were fully aware of what you were trying to do and you're manipulating the scene severely versus having it be a natural occurrence. And that that's one of the things that I'll get into further depth about you know things mm-hmm. I disliked about this game. Uh, but there's more positive than negative. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Which is unusual just... for Alex Swingle. <laughs> But but yeah, but what I was trying to say is the yeah, that random mechanic nice sometimes a lot uh, sometimes it's also you know uh, it's a dark omen because it could uh, force you to do something that you have no intentions of even completing and if you want to win in quotes you have to you have to you know do it right and yeah I didn't even get the opportunity to do that but that was a whole other subject of why that happened right yeah I guess. I mean, I feel like the objectives, the goals are broad enough that you always have a lot to play with. And, um, I mean, yeah, I guess there's an argument to be made that you may not want to, you may not want to do, you know, pursue goal X at all. You may have no interest in playing a character that is trying to use Rose for her money. But, but I think that when you sit down to play a game like this, this kind of structured story game, that and you know that it's going to use some level of randomization to set the scene, you know, and to, and to establish characters and to, um, for, you know, for the purpose of framing the game, I think you kind of accept that there are going to be at least a few broad things that are decided for you by the game that you're going to have to work with within. And, I, and I've seen games 
try to do this and fail in a way that really did constrict your ability to play the game, where things that happen in character generation um, would either get, leave your character at some kind of strange narrative disadvantage, not even necessarily a mechanical disadvantage, or really pigeonhole you into a role, and then you had to sit there and say, well, this is what I'm doing, I guess, even if I don't want to. I didn't get that feeling at all from the trouble with Rose. Everything seemed just broad enough. You know, it was just specific enough to inspire me and broad enough that I still felt a lot of agency over how I played the game. But that's a agree to disagree area. I don't know, Rudy, what did you think about that? Yeah, I didn't really feel constrained by it, but then again, I did draw a card that was basically how I was going to play my character <laughs> anyway, so... I drew the uh, the fiend card. The turncoat. Turncoat, yeah. So it didn't really affect my enjoyment because uh, I was going to basically do that anyway. So let's um, let's return to the the real meat of the game, which is the dominoes mechanic. I mean, we we sort of said already that. To some degree, we really like this mechanic. And the thing that I really, really like about it, above all else, is Rudy actually mentioned the way that it allows you or forces you to sometimes play at odds with yourself. It's a really excellent way to frame a scene, I think, because... Having okay, you lay you you pick you select the domino, so you're not it's not totally randomized. You have a hand, you're dealt a hand of five dominoes at the beginning of the game, and at the beginning of each of your own scenes, you get to pick which domino you will play. So it's not as if you just are dealt a random domino. You look at your traits and you're like, oh shit, what am I going to do with that? You do have some power to pick the domino that ties into the traits that you feel will best fit the narrative right now as it's been progressing. So that's a good thing. But it, but you also still have a limited pool of possibilities, which I think is another good thing. So you have a mechanic that focuses play, that creates a kind of strategic narrative play where you choose which traits you're going to use, but in a way that also inspires play. So... I'm going to lay my domino, I'm going to look at the traits on it, and then I'm going to be thinking, how am I going to fit these traits into this scene while keeping the narrative going in the way it was? And I found that worked just really spectacularly. You had people, it stretched people just enough, you know, that the game wasn't totally comfortable, but not so much that people were like, um, that any of the players were struggling to figure out, oh, how am I going to, to integrate my scene, my um, traits, my attributes into this scene. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. And it also guarantees that the scene is going to be a function of your character. Right. That your character's personality and beliefs and motivations and, and, and abilities are going to guide every single scene that you have power over. 
So nothing seems arbitrary. Nothing seems like it's a function of a plot machine. Nothing seems like, whoa, out of left field, because everything comes from your character. And for a game that's based on the theater, you know, that's inspired by Shakespeare, I think that's a really smart decision. Yeah. Rudy, Alex, any other thoughts on the domino mechanic? Uh, well, I really didn't feel that at all, which is not surprising really? considering the night. No, <laughs> um, what, what I felt with the domino mechanic is that it really encouraged uh, people to... Uh, well, r- really, it was way too easy to to be, to be get our point count. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And that's just because the way it's set up right now is if the person did a decent attempt at it, mm-hmm. they get the points. And so, and because of the way this game works, that... Um, you are more encouraged to get your fives and sixes in order to have the epilogue scene, right. which you know allows you to do all your uh, your orchestrating of the grand finale, mm-hmm. and um, basically just by doing that, it because it's so loose that that um, that that mechanic there, it, it makes it a little too easy to uh, to get your points. So it's like the only way. Um, people flubbed up when we played was just because Rudy picked things in his traits that weren't really that um, useful throughout majority of uh, his descriptions. Mm. As in, like, uh, let's see here, like, uh, uh, I, I don't have the board, the paper with me, but basically, like, I picked stuff that pretty much could be universally used, and Will, you almost did that majority of the time, where yeah. you could, like, find some some weird way to include the fact that you uh, yeah. did this or that. As I like did if, have to really stretch for a few of them, though, I'll be honest. <laughs> yes. And so, uh, but, like, uh, Rudy um, didn't, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't mean to, but he, he, he ended up picking some things where um, the traits really couldn't be used all the time, every single time, through it for every scene. And so because of that, he ended up uh, not getting his marks because uh, he made goals that kind of were in the outskirts of what he could possibly do in, in each moment. So what I'm getting at is overall, there's a lot of ham fisting in the story mm-hmm. uh, in, in trying to, in trying to play this game. And that if you don't participate in that, you're, you're probably, and, and if you try to, you know, play with what the scene is, what's happening in the scene, you're probably not going to do so, uh, fare so well. Maybe. But you have to remember that you get to frame the scene, too. The only time that you have to use the traits on your dominoes is when it's a scene you are framing and that you have sort of GM power over. You have narrative control over that scene. So you do, you can think in such a way, and granted, you are still constrained by the flow of the narrative. You know, you, you, it, it would kind of suck. It would be kind of a shitty thing to do to like, pull the narrative in a totally crazy new direction just so that you can get your traits in. But you do get to pick the domino you're going to play, So you, in, at least until you get late in the game when you only have one domino left. So you do get to, you get to decide what traits you want to use in that scene. You get to frame the scene yourself. 
So there, you do have a lot of power here. It's not just like you throw a domino out and then you really have to twist yourself in knots in order to get there. Although there were moments that that, that started to happen. Yeah, I think uh, it may be almost the opposite that Alex said, because I think it may be a little too easy to get the... Yeah. Uh, because the times that I fucked it up, basically I just let it go because I didn't feel like doing the shit. Uh, that was on the domino, but, um, it almost seems like it's, I mean, if you frame the scene in any kind of, uh, you know, in any kind of way to basically get your stuff, then it's going to be pretty easy to do it. And, uh, basically for scoring purposes, it seems like, uh, it's really going to come down to mostly the, the, uh, cards. Yeah, and whether whether you got your whether you objectives. got your agenda, yeah. So I mean, it seems it seemed kind of easy, but I do like the idea that the dominoes, uh, you know, the idea that you're supposed to kind of try to stretch yourself and uh, maneuver these things into the scene. But I don't know necessarily if the scoring mechanic really works. Well, really adds anything to the game, right? Yeah, and actually, I, I think I agree with you on that point. There's a, I feel like, I feel like there's something unnecessary about the scoring mechanic that you don't necessarily be, need to be keeping score in order to um, feel compelled to integrate your traits into the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would seem like those are the rules of the game. That's how the game is designed to function. You get the best play. If you use that, you know, yeah. if you if you try to frame the scene in such a way as you, that you can use those two traits on your dominoes. So whether or not you need a scoring system, it's questionable. There's also the fact that, as you said, it's very easy if you or if you want to get your um, if you want to get your points and your group isn't being a total dick about it, you'll get your points. So with that in mind, assuming that everyone is reasonably open-minded about what constitutes using your trait in, this, in a scene, and assuming that everyone is putting at least some effort into trying to integrate their traits into every scene, then who gets to um, who gets the power to narrate the epilogue actually comes down to pure dumb luck. It comes down to who was who was dealt the higher ranks of dominoes, right? Or who was dealt enough blanks to get to, to say he has sixes, right? To capitalize, right? That. That's yeah. Good. So, and an, another thing with the scoring mechanic that, and this isn't this isn't fatal to the game, but the fact that you at the end of every scene you have to stop and basically decide whether or not someone used their traits and then vote on it, it kind of stalls the game, I feel. Not just kind of. Well, it does stall the game. (laughs) And I guess your group could do it very quickly. They could say, yep, yep, you know, you got it. We vote. It's over. Let's move on. But then that still kind of defeats the purpose of having the ability to arbitrate that at all. So it, it does seem to interrupt the flow of the game a little bit. 
Now, I don't know. How do you guys feel about the epilogue thing, though? Do you think that you need some kind of scoring mechanic in place in order for the epilogue to work? Does that need to be a <coughs> one-player thing? You know, does someone need to win the epilogue? No, I, I, don't, I don't feel that is really even necessary, which um, is, you know, one of the things I wanted to get at eventually was that there's... There seems to be a lot of tricks in this bag of uh, trying to pretend that they're controlling the players, or at least you know to manipulate them into doing uh, like you know into trying to force this, the narrative, you know, as in like you know giving points for you know doing a good job in quotes, uh, you know things like that, uh, you know rewarding. Uh, people when they um, uh, earn points in their negative traits, which is why they're in the five and six category and not just wherever the fuck you want it to be. Um, right. You know, things like that. But there's quite a few bits of it that's just that's just not really important to what's uh, what's what's happening. Like you can like you can pretty much do a lot of it of whatever you want and it'll work out just fine. Because uh, you know. There's going to be a lot of rambling in this game for this discussion because there's just there's so much randomness tied to a lot of these uh, mechanics, at least in, from what I've seen. There's so much randomness applied here that it's it has to be discussed in segments, in chunks. Mm -hmm. It can't just be we can't just like say uh, you know this thing was uh, you know bad because this thing was good because all of it is synchronized and yeah. all of it is. The most of the premise of all these things is based on the foundation of another. So as soon as you highlight that thing, you instantly highlight the other thing, hmm. uh, which makes it very difficult to uh, to talk about this in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a you know in a in a focused way. Because yeah. like I was saying, um, to bring up what I what I was just mentioning there, because you know it was kind of cryptic, just like this game. Um, what what I mean though is. When you were trying to, you know, let's say you're you're hunting for points because you're, you know, you're that's what you have to do in order to get to the in order to control the end of the scene, you know, the end of the game, the the final scene. Um, what ends up happening is you end up saying, you end up doing a little bit of a goofy things just in order to try and gain control of things. So that affects your mood on it in terms of like uh, what you're trying to do. Um, at least it can, uh, you know, make you do goofy things. Uh, which th that's part of the manipulation, um, and then after that, it doesn't really manipulate you because you have to be so in it. It, it, it makes it to where you want you're gonna want to be so heavily invested in it to where it allows you to do that. But if you know you're aware of what's going on, it doesn't really do what it's trying to do. Because like I knew what what the what this game was trying to do. You know, we've played these games many times. There's no, I, and you know I have a brain, so I can understand what's going on. Uh, right. what, you know what people are trying to do to me whenever I read these these manuals. So I was completely aware of what it was trying to do, and um, it just it was it felt insulting to me that I had <laughs> to be uh, I had to be given bennies and tokens in order to uh, uh, try and be pushed into doing what I was supposed to do instead of just doing oh, what I, I was supposed to do. Right. Hmm. Because you're you're get, you're getting teased, you're getting uh, uh, positive uh, bonuses. You know, you're getting you're getting po positive reinforcement by these really trivial things. 
and basically you have to be dumb enough to completely uh, give in to them because if you're aware of it, it, it it will do nothing for you. Huh. Well, that's a little bit more cynical than maybe I would be, but I do think that there is something kind of superfluous about the scarring mechanic, assuming you're playing the game in good faith. Which I think is kind of what you were saying. One one of the audience mechanics that I really did like, though, is the yes and and yes but mechanics. Where at the end of the scene, before the the audience decides whether or not someone gets their points, they they can say, as a group, collaboratively, you know, yes, what happened in your scene happened, but let me tack something onto it. Or yes, all that you just said is true, and here's a little tidbit. That ability to add a little twist or a little tweaking or a little a little bit of um, collaboration to the end of a scene that's already that's otherwise largely guided by one individual, I think, is a really nice touch. Yeah, I like the yes and yes but thing as well. Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's one way for the audience to basically make sure there's still a little randomness thrown in, you know, to each section to, to everybody else's narrative, so you have some control, though, you know, over uh, somebody else's GM narrative. Right. I could take it or leave it. I, it really did not affect me at all, and majority of the time it was pretty unnecessary it did get used a few times though and i yes. can imagine it being used in really choice ways yeah you know to add a really cool twist like he suggests in the manual you know where you find out at the end of a scene that one one npc is secretly conspiring with another npc and i i like the idea that it always necessarily builds off the scene that came before it so it's a way to take what something that one player has crafted and then make it into something that belongs to the group. Or take that thing and turn it around and make that player see what they just created from a different perspective. And I think that's right. a cool idea. So is there anything else? Now this is a very simple game, and I don't mean that... Um, you know, I don't mean that as criticism. I mean that it's very—it's a straightforward, it's a very brief game. The rules fit into about eight pages. Very quick read. So I'm wondering if there's anything that we haven't touched upon. There's a cool little setting creation mechanic that involves drawing a single card, single card and looking at the rank of the card, and the suit of the card, and using that to get inspiration for the setting for your for your game. Like, for example, if you draw a seven of clubs, well, a seven indicates a casino or gambling den, because lucky seven, and clubs is defending another. So the clubs, the suit, indicates why Rose is in trouble. So in that instance, you would have gotten in trouble while defending another, maybe defending the honor of someone else or something. And the rank gives you a brief idea of what the setting is. So a casino or a gambling den. And having 13 different little 
setting snippets and four different reasons why Rose is in trouble. I mean, it's not exhaustive by any means, and it's not going to tell you exactly what your setting is going to be. And if you're totally, you totally have no inspiration at all, it may not help you that much. But it is a good little way to get the ball rolling in the game. There are also an extensive collection of playsets that have been made for this game. Um, I can't comment on them because we didn't play any of them, but I think it's good to be aware that they're there. So if you want to just pick up this game and play it immediately without a lot of, uh, without setting creation, without a lot of thinking for yourself, basically. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just want to sit down and play a game. And so those options are available for you. Yeah. Anything else about this game that we're missing? Any facet of it we've overlooked? No. Nope. No, I think we pretty much covered it. Okay. Yeah, I said my piece. Okay. Well then, any final thoughts on the trouble with Rose? We'll go around like we usually do. Rudy? Yeah, um, I'm not a fan of Shakespeare too much. <laughs> and I didn't really expect to get that much into this game, but it was actually pretty good. Uh, there's enough, uh, I guess the dominoes thing provides enough diversity in characters so that it keeps it fun. You know, it keeps you moving, so I thought it was pretty cool. Okay. Alex? I expected this game to suck because of it. Um, I, I noticed a, an obvious uh mode of attack with this game and uh, luckily our players did not do that oh what was the mode of attack that you noticed uh to force their shit in every single scene in order to get their points and do ridiculous shit in the process oh to kind of put accumulating points ahead <coughs> of the narrative ahead exactly. of telling an interesting story yeah, that would be a real shame. I could see some people playing that way, but I would wonder why people like that would be playing a game like this. <laughs> yeah, that's... But uh... yeah, yeah, I think that if you wanted to be... And I could see having, say, um, a player who isn't accustomed to playing these kinds of games, sitting down at the table and just going whole hog for the points. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. It's not just, you know, for every every scene. It's when he needs enough points or when she needs enough points to to get that, you know, to get ahead, they'll do it. Oh, right. Because like, this happened in the playtest. There were moments where I really could have just said, you know what? I'm going for a six on my blank or I'm going for double sixes on my on my oh, double blank right. when I had it. Right. right. Where, and, I, and I totally could have gotten away with it, too. Uh, but I would have been it would have uh, it would have messed up the story, and so I sacrificed uh, you know those points in order to do that, and I also sacrificed the last ten points I would have gotten uh, for trying to win her heart because I I wanted to try and uh, you know flesh out the scenes instead of making it like I said ham fisted and obvious that I was trying to pine right. for her. Right. Right. That actually reminds me of something that we didn't talk about, which is how the blanks and double blank dominoes function in the game. 
So basically, if your domino has just one blank on it and one number, you get to use your blank like a wild. You can insert any of your traits onto that domino. If you have, and then the scene ends kind of badly for you as a result. Blanks are always kind of a negative thing, but you, you can still get points. The double blank is, well, if you get, if you draw the double blank, you have to play it last because at the end of that scene, your character is basically removed from the game somehow. Uh, probably uh, killed, uh, probably uh, killed tragically. Yes. It's not guaranteed you have to play it last. Which is another thing. It is. It is. It needs to. It needs (laughs) to confirm and not pussyfoot around with what's trying to even say. It says should. It says do. It should say do it, but it doesn't. It says always, though. It says always. Yeah. Again, should. That that's an optional thing. (laughs) Should should always though. Like you 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 know what should be an always. You shutting the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you're not doing it, are you? Oh, shit, no, you not. just broke no, the rule. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, but, um, what was I going to say? I do really like the, the reason I wanted to mention this is, first of all, I like the idea of the blank sides of the dominoes being used as a way to insert a random trait into a scene. Well, not a random trait, but a trait of, players choosing into the scene but even more than that i really love the idea of the double blank domino being this moment of great like final drama for your character this moment where you get to go yeah maybe you die maybe you die tragically but you get to ham it up and you get to have a big influence on the way the story develops as a result Um, yes, so I, oh, my final thoughts and trouble with Rose. I'm going to use one of my favorite words for design, for um, describing games like this, elegant. This is a really elegant, cohesive game. As Alex was kind of pointing out earlier, um, it's hard to untangle any one element of the ga- of this game and isolate it. And that's a good thing, I think. It, it means that all the mechanics that are there are working together well, are seamless. And this is a very seamless game. As I said, the scoring mechanics, they seem unnecessary. I do like the idea of having social competition in the game, of having there be competition to decide who gets to have that final scene, who gets to determine the outcome of the game. But the scoring system as it exists now is not tight or focused enough to really deliver on that, to, to have meaningful competition. So there you have it. Now, audience mechanics and games. Rudy, you suggested this topic. So do you want to get the ball rolling on this? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I just... There's an awful lot of games that use, you know, the audience as participation as either part of a mechanic, you know, to judge something or, um, you know, or it gets the audience involved some other way and lets them have some kind of narrative control over what's going on. 
Mm. I think is a good thing because um, if you let people sit there too long, basically they're going to get bored. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think a game that I, I don't necessarily think that every game should, um, should have everybody included, should ha- have to necessarily have everybody included in each scene. Mm. But giving the audience something to do is definitely, you know, towards the better. That's uh, that's what you want to do. And Trouble with Rose did that really well, I thought. Yeah. Because there were options like playing NPCs or uh, playing Rose. Yeah. I am not a big fan of games that intentionally sideline players and relegate them to the audience for part of the game. Um, as in, you know, one player has the spotlight and the other players are in the audience. Right. Uh, there, there, there are some games, there are a few games that will do that over the course of a whole game. Uh, I feel like Final Hour of the Storied Age did that with its protagonist-antagonist supporting character system. You felt like if you weren't the protagonist and to the lesser, a lesser degree the antagonist, you were in the audience and you were watching for a lot of the game. That yeah. kind of mechanic, those kind of mechanics make me uncomfortable. They, they don't make, I, I'm not very satisfied with playing games where you feel like um, you spend a lot of time sitting around while someone else chews the scenery. But, that said, I do like games where you have a rotating spotlight and other players are integrated into every scene in a kind of diminished capacity. Like, right. exactly like the trouble with Rose does it, right? Maybe yeah. this is my scene, but any of your player characters could be brought <coughs> my scene, first of all. So you're not necessarily 100% relegated to the audience position. And even if your player character isn't brought in, I can bring you in as an NPC. Or, and even if for some reason you have to sit back for a whole scene, and hopefully that won't happen too often, you still get to make a judgment call at the end. And you still get the opportunity to do the yes and or yes but thing at the end. So that I like when, and I think if you're going to have an audience in the game, if there's going to be a major role for people who are essentially spectators in your game, you damn well better you damn well better give them a lot to do. You damn well better make them feel like a meaningful part of the game, yeah. and not like an afterthought. Right. And I think Trouble with Rose did that very well. Alex? Mm-hmm. 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 Agreement there? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was an mm-hmm of disagreement? Yes, it was. Well, explain. I think I'm just too tired to explain. Good. Gonna phone this one in. <laughs> oh no, not not phoning in. As in, I'm, I'm I'm just tired of even pretending to like go back and forth on it. I feel one way, and I'd rather not hear any opinion otherwise about it. 
<laughs> well, how do you feel? Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck who? <laughs> no, whoever you get your game, hands game, on. Ga- games that rely, you know, so, that have social mechanics. Oh, <laughs> All of them? <laughs> because you just said fuck them to every game I have ever designed. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, yeah. easy fuck come, it. easy go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just fuck your games, yeah. And I think you just said fuck them to some of the games you've designed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, actually, there's only even there's only one game I even potentially designed that revolved around, relied on social mechanics. And mm-hmm. that's, even then, that's debatable. Because it doesn't necessarily do that. Well, as much as I would like to have a very broad discussion on social mechanics that you don't want to have uh, and that our listeners don't want to hear, uh, let's talk about it. Let's keep talking about audience mechanics specifically. Well, what I did want to talk about is yes. uh, how you guys feel about audience mechanics that involve judging or. Uh... You know, awarding points, that type of thing. Complete waste of time should never be in one. <laughs> well, well, or or even uh, audience mechanics that have something to do with resolution. Yes. Now, uh, well, were you going to say something else, Cody? No, go ahead. Well, I think I've I've been vocal about this in the past, that I don't like voting mechanics. I don't like approval-based voting mm. mechanics. I don't like gold star mechanics, mm. where it's like, where it feels like social affirmation, like, let's vote on who, who, who had the coolest thing, who did the coolest thing. Yeah. I think that actually undermines creativity. Yeah. But... And the, well, and the reason I think it undermines creativity is because it has a chilling effect. It it has a negative psychological effect. I think. I think it makes people risk averse when they're playing. I because people are thinking, oh well, boy, I don't know if how people. Well, will they enjoy that? Will they have fun with that? Will this? Will people think this is cool? It's kind of like I've said this about laughter mechanics before. Like good laughter mechanics mechanics are about telling people not to laugh. Bad laughter mechanics are about telling people to laugh. Right? Bad laughter mechanics are rewarding people for making their friends laugh. Good laughter mechanics are about punishing someone because they laughed. And I think it works the same way with social affirmation mechanics, with voting mechanics. That bad voting mechanics or about giving some, telling someone you did a good job at role playing, you did better than your friends, or you did th- that was really cool. Now do something else really cool. Yeah. Because it, it it does not have the effect because we are more psychologically complex than that, and that a lot of times when we go out in pursuit of affirmation, in pursuit of that pat on the back, we experience anxiety. And we experience strange psychological effects that actually result in a shittier game than we otherwise would have. Whereas when we are 
as strange as it sounds, when we are trying to piss people off or trying to get a negative response or try or even trying to avoid punishment, we do some strange and funny things. So, and I don't know exactly how that works into voting mechanics. I mean, I have a game six page manual that I just released where you actually vote to give players punishments. Now these aren't like punishments. They're actually like fun additions to your character, but they, but they come out of doing things, playing the game wrong. You play the game wrong and you get punished. But the reality is there's only almost an encouragement to walk the line to play the game just a little just wrong enough that you get just enough punishment because the game gets more and more interesting the more you get punished by the group because you get more and more strange things tacked onto your character. And I guess if you need audience voting mechanics, I like them to be like that. And not a gold star. I don't know. What do you think, Moody Alex? Um, I kind of feel the same way as far as uh, I really don't like gold star mechanics. As you said, uh, mechanics that basically say, okay, well, this person did something that was cooler than what everybody else did. Because I think that can lead to a lot of hostility. And, well, it it just seems like it's, it's setting up for hostility and, you know, what basically needs to be a really cooperative environment if you're mm. you know telling a story you know story games you know you have to oh everybody has to tell part of the story so right. I mean if you guys if you're fighting over I mean there there can be differences of opinion and stuff mm. I'm not saying it's not good when people have you know differences on how the story should go right but it's like uh you know, like, my contribution is better than yours or was more meaningful than yours. That kind of hurts it, I think, Yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. But what about something like what exists in the trouble with Rose, where you're not really voting to give someone a social reward? It's not a pat on the back, but it's also, it's not a punishment either. And instead, it's voting on whether or not someone did something right. Right. See, I'm kind of conflicted about those because um, I thought in the trouble with Rose or trouble with Rose, it wasn't really necessary to the game. Right. To have uh, you know, to have people police the the types of things that other players did and say that if you know, say you know, yeah, he completed his objective or not. I thought it was kind of tangential to the rest of the game, mm-hmm. but uh. I mean, I can't, I can't really think of any example where I would like a mechanic like that. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess I haven't really seen that many mechanics that do that. So. Right. And I guess there are moments in a game, especially if you're playing a free-formy game, especially if you're playing a mechanically light game, where consensus can be the best thing to decide whether or not something works. Yeah. And I agree with you that it didn't really, the way it worked in the trouble with Rose didn't, it, it, it didn't, it wasn't pulled off all the way for the reasons that we talked about before. And I wonder, 
I feel like there's a very specific reason for that. And I'm trying to probe around in my brain to see exactly what it is. But it's something about the way the mechanic is presented and structured. The kind of up or down vote where someone says, I just did this. I feel like I did it. And then the other players have to decide whether or not they did it. I feel like that encourages the kind of go-along tendency that people have. Like, oh, this guy thinks he did a good job. Well, who am I to disagree? Right. And see, that's another thing. It's it's actually easier to agree and say, yeah, he, he did it, than it is to disagree and, you know, put, potentially look like a dick for doing right. it. Yeah, and, and I did that about three times throughout the uh, play. <laughs> yes. Alex, Alex didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> But anyways, what I want to get into about that, because, you know, you're bringing on, you're getting there, you're getting closer to what, uh, you know, should be talked about, at least I I think should be talked about, <laughs> is that um, player mechanics, I don't really care for them because a large portion of them are so subjective mm-hmm. and are manipulative. Because, oh. for example, because there was only three of us in the play test, and there was only two people to decide... Uh, you had to get the majority. You had to get everybody to say yes. It worked. Right. And so I could be a dick and say, no, you really didn't do that uh, throughout for every single subject because it's completely subjective. There's right. no requirements on how I have to vote. Right. And that just could be a fault in that game's design versus what it could be used for. Yeah. The subjectivity does potentially become a problem, especially when there are real mechanical benefits or real mechanical consequences, as in the trouble with Rose, where a subjective up or down vote basically decides whether or not you're going to be the one to give the epilogue. Well, a series of subjective up or down votes decide whether or not you're going to be the one who chooses how the story turns out, which is really, like, the most important thing, or a profoundly important thing, anyway. Yes, and that's the main reason why I said frack him in the beginning, is because, um, well, actually, no, I didn't say that, I said fuck him. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but that, that's, that's, yeah, that's the initial reason why I said that, is because um, there's just, there's so much, there's, it's so easy to do it wrong. That, um, and there's a lot of games that encourage you to do it wrong just by the way they set up the rules. Uh, you know, Trouble with Rose is one of them. This, that game could have easily been a very bad game if it wasn't for us being nice to each other. I don't know about that. I think that there were a lot of really good design decisions made in that game. The scoring mechanic, maybe not one of them, but. Sure. Oh. What what do you think about the trouble with Rose? Or... No, I mean about about um what we were talking about on a larger level about the way these the subjectivity of these of these voting mechanics when they're being used. Yeah, I mean, I I think subjectivity is it's it's hard. Well, you got to walk a fine line, you know, between that because there's always going to be some subjectivity involved in RPGs. Right. But uh, I think when you have uh, collective subjectivity, like 
mm-hmm. you know, a group votes on something, or, or it really helps when you, you have more players in the group and you have a variety of opinions in the group. Right. I mean, maybe a three-player playtest of the Trouble of Rose wouldn't necessarily get it, that kind of stuff. Right. Because we only had three people. But it could, I, I could see some of the stuff being fun now that I think about it in like a really big game where there's like, you know, 15 or 20 people playing it. And the the way that people argue about and for their uh, their points could actually be part of the entertainment. Oh, yeah, that's and true. It could actually be part of the story. It could actually help develop the story. So, I mean, I guess it's not, it's not all bad, but I'm still pretty conflicted about right. all that in general. I guess one thing that helps, if you're going to have subjective mechanics, you're going to have mechanics that are based on consensus or voting, mm. it helps if the audience has some clear criteria laid out for them for making this decision, which is something Alex mentioned earlier when he was talking about the way that the Trouble with Rose is written right now. But it's... It seems like a lot of the games, unfortunately, that have voting mechanics also have um, very loose criteria right. for determining, you know, um, what a success is and what people what should lead someone to vote that someone has succeeded or failed at whatever it is that the audience is trying to decide. Right, and I think. I think that that loose criteria can work sometimes, especially if the game is really playful. If the point is to have the argument, as you were saying, Rudy, the idea that that having the argument sometimes can add to the game, can add to the flavor of the game, can add to the enjoyment of the game, add to the enjoyment of the game. Because sometimes just standing there in front of the audience and pleading your case, it's kind of like a a soliloquy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a game in itself. Right. So there's maybe some enjoyment there. But when the game is competitive, very competitive, and when there's a lot on the line, it definitely helps to have some kind of criteria for the audience. Yeah. To make that kind of decision. Yeah. And what about other things that you can use an audience in a game to do? Because it's not exclusively voting mechanics. You can have the audience insert themselves into the game in other ways. Can anyone think of any game that does something like that, and how? Uh, well, there is uh, that Jeep form game, The Upgrade, which I haven't played, but I've heard a lot about, where basically, uh, I think to resolve action-type scenes, the audience kind of... You kind of play to the audience, and then like you resolve the scene based on how they respond, so like, if um and and like they have they basically have some some sway over how um the scene goes down based on like the things they're saying like for example if you had like a somebody trying to jump a motorcycle over a bunch of cars or something mm-hmm. you know the audience might start saying you know oh wow is he gonna make it you know is he gonna oh oh he's gonna do it he's gonna Oh no! Oh no! He's got you know that kind of thing, right. and it just kind of it kind of goes on like that, and not um. And it, I guess 
it's not really resolution, but it it really it's a way to move the narrative, I guess. Right. You know, by you know just saying, okay, what do you guys think is going to happen, basically? Right. Yeah, it yeah. inspires play. Right. Yeah. But yeah. um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a really cool way. I haven't played the upgrade either, but having the audience heckle the game and having right. the heckling inspire the outcome of the game. Yeah, exactly. I think is in some ways better than, even though it is more subjective, right. it's better than a voting mechanic. Because, right. first of all, the audience gets to feel like they're really, they're really shaping the game, you know. There's still the audience. It's still kind of a passive role, but it's an active kind of passive. You know, they're really what they're yelling, what they're saying is right. has the potential to change the outcome of the game. Exactly. It also doesn't stall play at all, which is something right. that voting mechanics tend to do. It's like, oh, oh, we need to stop and we need to vote. Right. Whereas if they're shouting out stuff while the game is evolving, while it's happening, the game never has to stop. Right. So that's cool. Alex? Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on this? I mean, I really don't, because I'm not really passionate about this. I. Okay. Yeah, it makes it difficult to say anything. Anything at all? Because, yeah, no, seriously, the... the Really, the, all I want to say is just that one piece of, you know, I don't give two shits about this and move on. And not just about audience mechanics, but you don't give two shits about social mechanics mm. at all. Yep. Most wow. of them are completely unnecessary. Hmm. So you're saying that, once again, that most of Rudy and I's game, Rudy and my, uh, mo most of our games are superfluous unnecessary no, that, that's you you're projecting that's it oh i see well i i'm drawing a conclusion yeah exactly okay <laughs> <laughs> so where are we at are we at about an hour now i don't really know or care <laughs> uh, we, we've got to be close to an hour yeah we have no to it's be. felt like an hour but it's not been an hour really yeah, I'm looking at the time of when we started the Skype call and when we actually said, all right, let's do this thing, and we're, we're not there yet. Uh, oh. oh, okay. We have to... So, all right, so let's see here. I think I just needed time to warm up because I pretty much took like a three-hour like three nap after okay. spending about 24 <laughs> hours, uh, you know, 26 hours, uh, you know, doing shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just... There's only so much that really can be said about this subject because it's you know it's it, it's definitely one of those subjects that is some do some don't. It's not really a super positive thing to do in all your games because mm -hmm. there's I just know too many dicks who who <laughs> who abuse that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's difficult to to even consider that they're good. Uh, mechanics. You know, they're good ideas to put in a game because it's just I, I, I know too many examples where it's not a good idea. But statistical mechanics, numerical mechanics, even like like physical, like 
board game based mechanics. Those can all be abused by a cocksucker too. Well, they can be abused because the person who designed it did a poor job. Maybe, maybe. But I'm thinking of rules lawyering, and I'm thinking of 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 uh, stalling a game in order to argue a point, or of <laughs> of finding ways to circumvent the rules. Or I know I did know, all those or, things. Or force rules <laughs> when it's like, or why why do we need to roll? So it seems like. Any kind of mechanic certainly has the potential for abuse. I guess that in some ways social mechanics are more subjective, but... One thing I will say is that uh, social mechanics, when they're abused, usually result in a lot more lulls. Yes. Than uh, dice mechanics and other things being abused. You know, like more hard mechanics. Right. Because social mechanics, somebody gets butt hurt all the time. <laughs> Well, in hard mechanics, people, you know, I was going to say mechanical mechanics, but, you know, mathematical mechanics, people just get bored when they get Right, abused. exactly. Yeah, nobody really gets into the, the argument as far as, you know, well, uh, I mean, you can look on page 266 and see the answer. Right. Somebody inevitably will. Right. So, but social mechanics, I think the potential for butthurt is so... Uh, is so prevalent that it can lead to even when it's a bad game, right? It can still be a good game for some people, <laughs> <laughs> and that might—that's maybe kind of sadistic to say, but I mean that's just my experience in playing these games. No, that's true. I mean, it's so much more entertaining to see someone get upset about a subjective social experience than it is to see someone get upset about numbers. Right. Because then you have to listen to an argument about numbers. Right. As opposed to an argument about, like, the social conditions of play, which, <laughs> which is a boring way to say it, but in, in reality is, like, hilarious. Yeah. Like, someone's like, no, don't do that, because I don't want you to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that because it offends me. Don't do that because it hurts my feelings by proxy, since it hurt my character's feelings. All right. Yeah. So, I feel like, I don't know, any, any final thoughts bringing it back to me audience mechanics? Any final thoughts on audience mechanics? Ready? Um, I think if you're going to have them... Um, either there should be a potential for a lot of narrative gain as far as, um, you know, what the audience adds to the game mechanically, you know, or narratively. Or there should be a lot of butthurt, basically. <laughs> because butthurt is cool. Right. Alex? Um, yeah. Okay, I, I want to say, if you're going to have audience mechanics, make sure that they are a significant part of the game. Yeah. Do not use them as a way to um, superficially integrate people who are sitting on their ass watching someone else play. Right, right. But if you do make it a part, major part of the game, that's really cool, just... 
then you just have to deal with all the other stuff we've been talking about. Yeah. It's a real challenge, but I think it's when it's done right, it's pretty fulfilling. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. So wrapping up, anyone have anything they want to say before we end the game? Or the podcast episode? Oh, yeah. Actually, I had said this before, but um, I have a penis. What? No way. Yep. I don't believe it. I've seen oh. it, and I still don't believe it. <laughs> I was going to say, do I need to expose myself on webcam here? You I don't have a webcam. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, this podcast be a video cast that was nothing of you, nothing but you exposing yourself. <laughs> Alex, you don't have to talk about audience mechanics anymore. Nah. I mean, this is probably a good example of exactly what's wrong with uh, audio mechanics. It relies heavily on the uh, audience giving a shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is true. All right. Um, Well, this has been Mom's Basement Podcast episode 54 yeah uh, join us for episode 55 where we will talk about something else I don't know what are we going to play we may play Antarctica for 55 or discuss our playtest of Antarctica for episode 55 but we may also decide to record you know another random bullshit podcast or a topical podcast or something and whether we're going to jump immediately into the next playtest remains to be seen. Okay. Okay. I guess we'll find that out. So I'm just making noise because Alex hasn't pulled out the microphone yet. Yeah, making noise. Making noise. Yeah. yeah making 